those of you who were kind enough to change your worship habits and join us at 8.15. Thank you, okay? That's going to be a big help as the day goes on. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me, okay, to Luke chapter 24. And if you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you, okay? If you don't, thank you, Joey. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. Man, we're going to celebrate the risen Christ this morning, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection story, and uh, my hope is for you to leave here this morning maybe with a little bit of a so what, right? We gather, we sing, we celebrate, but then what's the so what? How many of y'all watch the Shark Tank? Any Shark Tank watchers? That's it? Okay, it's a great show, all right? When I grow up, I want to be Mr. Wonderful, okay? He's one of the guys on the show. And, uh, but the problem with the Shark Tank, if you've never watched it, essentially it's, it's a bunch of entrepreneurs. You come in and you present your business, and uh, then they have the opportunity to invest in your business. And the problem that I have in watching the Shark Tank is I always leave with a sense of disappointment, okay? And I'm usually disappointed in two people. First, I'm disappointed in myself, okay, because I watched this person come up to present a business idea, and, uh, and then the, the Shark Tank, the group, the investors, uh, they'll invest in this business for millions of dollars, and I'm disappointed in myself, like, why can't I think of something like that? That was simple, right? And the second group that I'm disappointed in, I'm usually disappointed in my kids, okay? Uh, and here's the reason why. Last week, or two weeks ago, I was watching the Shark Tank. This nine-year-old girl gets up there with lemonade, okay? Lemonade, all right? And she is already generating a large amount of income with this lemonade. She understood the principles of business. She understood profit margins. She understood the importance of supply side to keep your, to keep your cost down so that your margin would be greater. She was artistic. Articulate. She knew what she was talking about, and, and she just presented herself so well to the Shark Tank. And at that point, I looked at my kids, and they're kind of watching the show, and they're kind of on their iPod thing, you know, doing their stuff. And I looked at them, and I said, you guys go to your room, and don't come out until you invent something, okay? That's kind of how that went. You know, like, what are we doing? I'm wasting my time. And I always leave that show with, like, this profound sense of disappointment, you know? Like, man, what's, I'm wasting my life kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I got to thinking about Resurrection Sunday, and I thought, you know, a lot of times we do that. Like, we gather here, you know, it's kind of the cultural, natural thing to do. Everybody kind of shows up. But, but then the question for me is, like, so What? What happens tomorrow? What happens next week? I mean, where's the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes in our lives? And so here's what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of give you three kind of so what's out of the resurrection story that I hope you'll take with you, you'll ponder this week and say, what difference does this guy who lived, died, and rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago, what difference does it make? And my hope is that you'll understand that the reason it makes such little impact in our lives is we settle for looking for life in places that can't really give us life, all right? We end up looking for life among the dead. Okay, so check this out. The resurrection. The first thing I want to challenge you with. We no longer look for life among the dead. No longer look for life among the dead. Luke chapter 24, verse 5. You got the resurrection story, all right? The women show up to the empty tomb. The women, verse 5, were terrified because there's these angels there. 
They bowed with their faces to the ground, and then the men asked, or these angels asked, why are you looking for the dead, among the dead, for someone who's alive? Church, there's no life among dead things, all right? You can't find life among dead things. And so many of us are attempting to find life among dead things. In fact, we, we usually exchange the time of our lives to try to find life in things that can't give life. That's why Jesus said this. In fact, if, if someone said, hey, Pastor Sean, this was the last sermon you're ever going to preach in the American culture, this would probably be the verse I would preach on. It would be John chapter 14. Jesus said this about finding life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody can come to the what, church? What does it say? Nobody can come to the Father. And this, this whole idea that all paths lead to God, that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, if, if you want to know the heavenly Father, you ha it's found in me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. And so on Resurrection Sunday, these women show up at the tomb, and the angel says, you're looking for life. We're, we're in the wrong spot. Life is not found among the dead. Let me, let me kind of unpack this. Let's move kind of from the spiritual to your life for a minute, okay? Because the Apostle John was part of this resurrection thing. He's one of the very, probably the closest follower to Christ. And when he talks about how we find life, real life, spiritual life, he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Apostle John wrote this. He said, don't love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Did you hear that? If you're consumed with the things of this world, John, the apostle, the follower of Jesus, said, you, you don't know the, the, God the Father. It's a pretty impacting verse. For the world offers only the craving of physical pleasure, a craving of everything we see. Pride in our achievement, pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world, guess what? It's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The Apostle John gives us four things that are dead. They're four things that we tend to exchange our lives for. But John tells us you're not going to find real life if you're searching for life among these four dead things. Here's what they are. Physical pleasure. That's what he says. We exchange our lives for physical pleasure, man. Get me through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable, right? We spend our lives in our culture consuming, pleasing ourselves. John says there's no life among pursuing, craving everything that we see. You watch a little bit of TV this weekend, right? You're, it is, every commercial is going to attempt to make you dissatisfied with everything that you have and, and, and challenge you to purchase newer, shinier, nicer, right? This looks nice. In fact, the very first sin, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? They were pl placed in paradise, and there were two trees. One tree they could take from, the other one they weren't supposed to take from. The tree of life they were allowed to take from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they were not to partake of, right? And so in Genesis chapter 3, everything I see is the first thing that comes out. So Satan tempts the woman. So the woman was convinced, Genesis 3, 6. She saw that the tree was what, church? Man. That's awesome looking, right? I was riding around with my son the other day in my old 15-year-old Honda Accord. He's like, Dad, when are you going to get like a Mustang? You know, like, they're awesome looking, you know? And I, 
And I preached to him this sermon. Like, he got way more than he wanted, right? You know, like, oh, I should have never opened my mouth, you know, kind of thing. Man, we, we can't help it. Like, we see something like, man, I've got to have that. And, and so what happens is we, can, we exchange our lives for the things we see and the things we got to have, and they, they leave us long. And you're searching for life and things that are dead. John goes on, he gives a fourth thing, that, a third thing that we, you, we can exchange our lives for, and we're, we end up looking for life among the dead. He says, pride in our achievements. Pride in our achievements. They achieve, 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 achieve. And that's, that's, a, that's the hamster on the wheel. You'll be pursuing and you'll be pursuing until you are emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted. That's what the world will leave you. And some of you in this room, you're, you are, you're, you're losing your family over your achievements. I got to put in more time. I got to, you're on the wheel and you're going and you're going and you're going because you're looking for life among the dead. And by the way, you know, when it comes to your achievements, you kind of think it's going to wow all of us. Like, I'm going to pursue the achievements. You think we're all going to go, like, whoa, that, you're so awesome. Let me tell you something about the human race, okay? We are all way too self consumed to worry about your achievements for more than a passing glance. Isn't that true? Show me your new car, I'm going to go like, wow, that's awesome. And then as soon as I walk away, I'm consumed with my stuff. Man, and guess what? Pastor, I achieved, I've worked my life, I got I achieved this. You know, you've exchanged your life for that. And I walk away and soon, man, I'm just way too self-consumed to be worrying about your stuff. If you're going to walk around trying to get everyone's attention onto your life, you're going to be searching for life among things that don't last fourth thing that John, Apostle John gives us, places we look for life and things that don't last, and living among, we look for life among the dead, is pride in our possessions, right? And by the way, I'm not condemning stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff, but there, is a, there can be a subtle shift in our thinking where we don't have stuff, but stuff has us, right? Where man suddenly it owns our hearts and it owns our life. And, and I did this recently, actually. <clears throat> it was December of 2013. I had I had not yet merged onto the flat screen superhighway, okay? I still own the old thing, right? And, and so uh, it was, uh, so this, we're, we're going to get near Sean's stuff, okay? So I said to my wife, I said, honey, I think this is the year that the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl, all right? And so I said, I said, you know what would be awesome is if I could watch it in HD on a new flat screen. So 2013, all right, my wife said, all right, Christmas, go get yourself a nice flat screen. Got myself a nice flat screen, and guess what I got to watch, man? Seahawks win the Super Bowl. Now, this year, watching it, you're like, you're 18 inches from a second one. Run the ball, okay? So it didn't quite work out so well. So, and to see that in HD was even more heartbreaking, all right? But, uh, I had the weirdest thought about two weeks ago. I was watching the NCAA tournament in my big daddy comfy chair with my HD screen, and you know what crossed through my mind? I should have got a bigger one. <laughs> I can barely see this thing from here. That's <laughs> what crossed my mind. It took a whopping 15 months to become dissatisfied with the stuff I just purchased. Right? And that's the next article. What am I talking about? You know, 15 months ago, I had a, 
I had a tube thing going on, you know. I've lost your mind. Like, stuff can't satisfy you. And we live in a culture, man, that's telling you, exchange your life for stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with stuff. But, man, we have to be really cautious because there's no real life there. You're going to be looking for life among the dead. And you'll be quickly dissatisfied. And the world's going to tell you, the world's going to influence your thinking. The world's going to blind you to the truth. That's what John's trying to tell you. The world's going to tell you to crave things that are not of God. The world's going to tell you to find life in things that can't give life. The world's going to tell you things like, you know what? If your spouse isn't making you happy, go find a new one. I'm here to tell you there's not life in that. The world's going to tell you that if you love someone, that just go ahead and be sexually intimate before marriage. There's no life in that, I'm telling you that. Because it's not biblical truth. The world's going to tell you when you come home, there better be people there to meet your needs. And if those people don't meet your needs, you should surround yourself with other people. There's no life in that. The world's going to tell you, make sure that you hoard as much of your money as you can because you're going to need it all for you know, retirement or whatever, for the next big thing. The last thing you need to do is be generous with your money. There's no life in that. In fact, the Bible tells us the only money we keep is really the stuff we're, we generously give away. The world's going to tell you stuff will make you happy. The world will tell you to take your eyes off God. The world will turn us into proud, self-centered people. And we become people who search for life in things that won't last. And so I ask you this morning, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Church, we've got to be really, really cautious about the world. And the reason is, and I'm not talking about people. John's not here. He's not talking about people. He's talking about in worldviews and thinking and influence. And here's the reason why. John says the world is temporal. It's very, very short. The world's fading away. And all that people crave are fading away. Jesus, I was reading a story this week. I wish I had time to read the whole passage. But you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 12. Um, Jesus told this story about finding life in the right places. And, and he actually says in, in verse 15 of Luke chapter 12, he says, real life is not found in the stuff that you have. And he said, then he says, let me illustrate this. And I, as I read this story, I was like, man, it's, he's, like, he's like talking about uh, the American culture. He said there was a farmer that had a great farm, and this farm produced plenty of crops, so much so that every year his barns were full and he had plenty to get through the winter, plenty to get through the spring until the next year when his farm produced another healthy crop. But then one year, man, this farm, it produced a bumper crop. He had so much product, he didn't know what to do with it. So he thought to himself, in Jesus' story, he thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn, I'll build a bigger barn, and then I'll put the crop in that barn, and I will have so much that I can eat, drink, and be merry until I die. And you know what Jesus said at the end of that story? Anybody know? You're a fool. You're a fool. Today, your life is required of you. In other words, you're going to stand before the God of the universe, then what? Luke chapter 12, verse 21, Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich 
relationship with God. Resurrection Sunday takes my eyes off the temporal and places it on the eternal. Resurrection Sunday reminds me I no longer look for life and things that won't last. I no longer have to look for the living among the dead. Church, I want to encourage you this morning, find life in Christ, the risen Christ, because he's the one that gives real life. Here's the second thing I want you to, kind of the second so what from this passage. The resurrection makes us do something, all right? It doesn't leave us where we are. The, the passage says they remembered and they ran. They remembered and they ran. Check this out. Luke chapter 24, verse 6, he says, he isn't here, the angel said. He's risen from the dead. Remember. Circle that in your handout. Remember. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. Oh, yeah. Here's what's going on in the minds of these women. Oh, yeah. Now that I think about it, he did say he was coming back from the dead. Like, how do you forget that one, right? You're hanging out with someone all these years, like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. You think, like, three days later, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Resurrection, he said that, right? I mean, if you say that to me, if you say, John, I'm going to die three days later, I'm going to be back from the dead, I might be parking out by your graveside for three days. I might just throw a tent up and go, I'm watching this deal, okay? <laughs> they remembered, right? <clears throat> Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man was to be betrayed in the hands of sinful men, to be crucified, and that he would, uh, he'd rise again on the third day. And then, whoo, they remembered that he had said this. And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. So, first thing, the resurrection of Christ was not an accident, Resurrection of Christ was not an accident. This was a planned event. Jesus told his followers. Jesus predicted his, his death. Jesus predicted his victory. Jesus, this was not some willy-nilly event that took God by surprise. Church, I want you to hear this this morning. The resurrection of Christ was the plans of our sovereign God to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat suffering, to defeat shame. Victory was assured. And on this morning, the followers of Jesus remembered they remembered. Oh, yeah, he did tell us that. And so we gather this morning to remember. And by the way, this is, this is just a side note. Okay, I'm going to do a little by the way here. A little by the way. This is the reason we gather corporately at the church week in and week out at the church building. It's what we are, the church. We gather corporately to remember. Listen, your church attendance is not a checkbox that makes God happy. I'm, I'm on God's good side this morning. It's not why we gather. You know why we gather? Truth leaks out of our minds. Truth leaks out of our hearts. And so we gather to be reminded of the truth. Jesus said something very important about the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will do something for you. What will we do? Set you free. And so if we don't, we're not reminded about the truth, guess what? Our lives are going to careen into bondage. We're going to end up looking for life among the what? Among the dead. And so we gather corporately on a regular basis to be reminded of the truth. And here's the deal. The truth changes your thinking. And thinking changes your behavior. And behaviors stacked up day after day change a lifetime. And a changed lifetime will be passed on to a generation, and it will change a generation. Did you ever think of your church attendance like that? That's what it's like. 
because it reminds us of the truth. And sometimes, just like the followers of Christ, man, the events of our lives, they cloud and they confuse our thinking, and we need to be reminded of the truth. That's why regular church attendance at a place that preaches the Bible is the Word of God will change you, okay? So they remembered, they remembered the truth, and then they ran. They ran. You see, when you understand the resurrection of Christ, man, it radically changes your behavior. When you understand that a dead guy came back to life, you don't sit and twiddle your thumbs, okay? You don't think, man, how boring, when does this end, kind of thing, all right? The resurrection of Christ changes you and sets you into motion to tell others. If you're not motivated to tell others, you haven't peered long enough into the empty tomb and really considered what's going on. These ladies ran. And all too often, church, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm going to talk to the, like, the, like if you're a longtime church attender, one of the dangers that you have is that you get complacent with the story of Jesus Christ. The story that God loved us so much that he wrapped himself in flesh. He set foot on this earth. He suffered a death he didn't deserve to pay the penalty for the forgiveness of sin. All sin. We all have it. Whatever you came in here with this morning, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin so that we can live free and that we can live without shame. He died, and guess what, church? The grave couldn't hold him, and he rose again to life, and he's coming back again, and somehow we get complacent with that story. Incredible to me. And so we need to be reminded in the overflow of a heart captured by the resurrection of Christ is a life that runs and tells others of the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally this morning, third so what? All right, so third so what? How do, how do we find life among things that don't give life? So we're not ending there. So we find life where it's really found. And this is what I call the resurrection, however. I love this, okay? Luke chapter 24, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what happened. So let's make sure we got the right picture here. Okay, so these, these women go to the tomb early Sunday morning. An angel shows up. He says, you're looking, for, you're looking for the living among the dead. He's not here. And so they remembered, okay, wow, yeah, that's right. He did say that. They go back. They run back, the 11 disciples and others, okay, and so these women tell the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and so they didn't believe it. You see what's happening here? They ran, they told, they saw the truth, and there's a bunch of people going, oh, that is ridiculous. Sound like a world you live in? However, circle that, however, However, this is the Easter, this is the resurrection Sunday. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to take a look. Stooping, he peered in. He saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Church, let me encourage you. If you're here this morning, you're a believer in the resurrection of Christ. And you run and tell. There's going to be a lot of people that don't get it. There were 11 disciples and others in this story, but of the 11 disciples of the 11, when the women came and said, he's not there, I think he's alive again, out of the 11, one ran back. There was one, however, I'm not a math, 
I'm not very good at math, but I think that's less than 10%, right? Ran back, and, he, and, and, and there will always be doubters, and there will always be skeptics, and there will always be questions. However, some will take the time to investigate the claims of Christ. Some will peer into the empty tomb long enough and wonder, and here's what they're going to wonder. Is this true? Did this happen? Did Jesus die and rise again to life as he said? It doesn't matter what those around you think. And it doesn't matter if your friends at school think you're weird. And it doesn't matter if your own family thinks that you have fallen off your rocker. What matters is this. Is it true? Yeah, say that again. It doesn't matter what others think. It doesn't matter if your friends at school think you're nuts. It doesn't matter if your family thinks you're off your rocker. The question is, is it true? Is the tomb empty? Because if it's true, it changes everything. If a dead guy comes back to life, it authenticates his person and his work and his teaching. And so here's my question this morning. Are you a however? Are you a however? Or are you like everybody else? Are you a however? Are you daring enough to investigate the claims of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm going to close with a story this morning. <clears throat> This guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist and an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he started on a journey to prove that Jesus Christ and Christianity was nothing more than man-made. He was going to put his intellect to work to prove that Christianity was a made-up religion. The reason? Lee's wife had become a follower of Jesus Christ. And Lee decided to prove to her once and for all that this thing called Christianity could not be believed. So Lee put his award-winning journalistic skills and his education which included a bachelor's degree from the University of Missouri and a master's degree from Yale Law School, he put these to work to prove to his wife that the evidence was overwhelming that Jesus Christ and Christianity could not be believed because it wasn't true. So with the investigative tenacity of an award-winning journalist, Lee Strobel went to work. Uh-oh. Something happened on his investigation. To his surprise and to his digging, the mounting evidence left Lee Strobel with only one conclusion. Jesus Christ was indeed a man who walked the earth. Jesus Christ was a man who indeed predicted his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection. 
Jesus Christ was a man who indeed proclaimed that he came and he died for the purpose of paying the debt of sin and rising again, proving that once and for all that he was indeed the Son of God. Lee Strobel took an honest look at the truth, and he became a however. Lee Strobel became a however. My prayer for you this morning that every single one of you would become however. The rest of the world this morning may be doing whatever, but I want you to be a however. I want the resurrection of Jesus Christ to radically change you because a person who wonders and marvels and is transformed by the empty tomb and the person of Jesus Christ will find life. And Jesus said, you will find it to the full. My prayer for you this morning is that you would become however. And I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe this morning as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit's grabbing a hold of your heart and saying, you know what, you are trying to find life in things that will not satisfy. Let me encourage you. Have your heart engaged with Jesus. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to God the Father except through me. Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning. Nobody's looking around. And maybe this morning's this morning, the morning. You go, you know what? I'm going to change from being a whatever to being a however. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, man. There's nothing magical about a prayer. It's just an opportunity to do business with God. The God who comes back from the grave. The God who gives life. The person and work of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I've been trying to find life in places that don't give life. I came in here this morning, God. Maybe I got maybe dragged here this morning, God, but you know what? I'm tired of trying to find life and things that won't give life. And so this morning, God, as best I understand it, I, I changed from being a whatever and I'm going to become a however. A person who investigates the empty tomb, a person who believes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I believe that God's son paid my debt. He rose from the grave and I find life in him. And as best I understand it this morning, I give my heart, and I give my life to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Church, we're going to stand and sing. But before we do that, I want to offer you something. Okay, I've got a limited number of these for each service. Okay, if you're here this morning, you've been investigating the claims of Christ. Maybe this morning you want to be a however. Okay, this is the book that Lee Strobel wrote on his spiritual journey. It's called The Case for Christ. Okay, I've got a limited number for each service. If you want to investigate further the claims of Christ, that's my gift to you. It's at the Connect Center. I want to encourage you to go out and be a however this morning. Let's stand and let's worship because all we have is Christ. Pastor Joey.